This is the Quantum Biology Podcast, where we break down the practical health applications of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. In this episode, Mawash Syed, an interior designer, student of applied quantum biology, and cancer survivor, discusses how to create beautiful spaces that fulfill our need to connect with nature and natural light cycles. Mawash talks about windows and light bulbs, as well as the mythology and symbolism of ancient cultures and how they support our healing on a subconscious level. This is a beautiful and fun conversation that will inspire a deeper connection to our day-to-day surroundings. And as always, we do not advertise on this podcast, so do hit the five-star review button and help us to continue our organic growth. To stay in touch, click the link in the show notes for our monthly newsletter. Enjoy! Mawish, welcome. It is so lovely to have you here. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation because we're coming at applied quantum biology from a slightly different angle. Uh, when we normally, when we talk about applied quantum biology, we're talking about health strategies that come out of the understanding of human health from a quantum biologic perspective, but you're going to talk to us about design strategies that have come out. So tell us how your, your background is in art and design textiles, interiors, clothing design. You've done so many, so much beautiful work. Tell, tell us how you went from that to land into the quantum biology world. That's a great question, Meredith. And I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I went through my awakening by my cancer journey. So that really catapulted me into looking at my environment from an epigenetic standpoint. And I wrote about that in my book. But what it did was suddenly allow me a different lens to which I looked at. I mean, of course, beauty matters and aesthetics matter, but oh my gosh, your environment affects your health. So from that standpoint, I started looking around. Now, interestingly enough, I want to share two words that are sisters, circadian and carpe diem. Circa dia is about the day. Carpa dia is seize the day. So very much in line with beautiful what I am about, which is seizing the moment. When you're facing death and you're realizing, oh my gosh, tomorrow may never come. That made me realize what am I doing? What have I been doing? How can I look at each and everything around me as something that affects me from not just a biological standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, right? The whole idea of our emotions um, affect us. So like Bruce Lipton says, so it's really kind of all interconnected, but I would definitely say my cancer journey was a doorway through which I walked and it opened up a whole new world. And now I'm leading workshops on this, on combining real kind of practical tips people can use to create not just a beautiful environment, but an environment that is in harmony with your body. 
Wow. So tell us about some of those tips that you recommend and why. Well, obviously the number one thing is to get as much natural light as possible. Now, I definitely think we're going to get to my whole, uh, you know, problem with LEDs in a second, but natural light, meaning sunlight, daylight is so important for you to have. And suddenly being a New York City person, um, looking at buildings and, and exposures and thinking about how light actually is such a commodity where I live. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas other people just take it for granted. If, if you're living in a house and you have, you know, you're not really conscious of which way your house is facing, unless you're a gardener and you want to plant certain things. And then you're like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I want an east facing this thing, a rose bush. So I think it's really important for people to realize that um, I had a client recently who, I swear to God, I've had, you know, she's been a client of mine for 15 years. Suddenly I walked into her bedroom and I looked around. And I swear to God, Meredith, I'm, I'm admitting this. I'm like, have your your blackout shades been always down during the day? Have I not noticed this? She's like, yeah, it's, you know, why do I need it? It's, it's you know, there's other buildings around. And suddenly I started spouting off like, do you know that this, especially at our age as women, we need, you know, to have the daylight in the morning and you need to open those shades and and so on and so forth. And so we started talking about like changing them out and changing into different things. um, Something that allows her to um, see natural light from, and still get gain privacy. So from a practical standpoint, like just, just let's talk about windows. Just windows right. from a designer's perspective, an interior designer's perspective. Okay, right. Because well, so from for, from a natural light perspective, yeah, we want to have that that sunlight on our eyeballs. Um, so we definitely don't want the blackout curtains down, and then we want the window to be open. Yes, because yes. so tell us about if if the goal is to have all the natural light frequencies of the sun hitting our our skin and our eyes tell us what's going on with these windows. (laughs) Right. So these days, since UV has been bastardized and demonized and villainized to the point where, you know, we have all these laminations, most windows come laminated to stop a certain spectrum of light coming in. And I spoke to a window specialist exactly about this. I picked his brain and I said, are there glass, is there a glass that isn't laminated that I can buy? He said, yes, there is. And um, which is Starfire glass. So if you don't know whether your windows are laminated or if they are, what you can do really simply is to open your windows. And since light is um, not polarized, it can it can bounce off and actually bring in the light to your eyes because it's not so much the idea is just sky gazing or not just looking directly at the sun, but to have that level of light that we are in rhythm with and we can't divorce ourselves from our biology, which is thousands of years old. I mean, I'm sorry, you can come out with a great new idea or a product, um, but you can't bypass the sun. You just can't. I'm sorry. Yeah. And yeah, we, and we do try. And it's interesting that because older windows, right? Like windows maybe 
I'm not sure the exact date, but maybe like pre-1960s did allow more light frequencies through. So it's our newer windows that we've on purpose. You're so you're saying there's like a coating on most glass yes. that is put there specifically to block out UVB and UVA rays. Correct. Correct. Okay. And and again, it depends on your municipality and the laws. Where, you know, when we're constructing buildings in New York, there are different laws here versus somewhere else. Okay. And so tell me more about the glass expert you spoke to. So he did say there is a type of glass that you can get that doesn't block. It's like the old fashioned glass or what's going on with this glass? It has no iron. It has very low iron. It has, it's very clear. It's what we designers use inside our showers, if you don't want that blue green tint, you Mm -hmm. know, um, and you don't even realize the tint of things. um, Especially I'm I'm very conscious of it. So Starfire glass is the right glass to use if you can get your hands on it. Okay. So Starfire. All right. We'll have to put that in the show notes. So So if someone's building a house or replacing their windows, you can order this type of glass. Yes. Yes, you can. Okay. Amazing. And so do you also sort of help people figure out, because I would imagine, especially if you're working in New York, maybe people don't want to open their windows. They would, they have some issues with that or the windows don't open. How do you work with people from a design perspective? Interesting. I want to introduce a wonderful concept. It's an ancient Islamic architectural concept called Jali. Jali is, um, Basically, it's a very intricate latticework that traditionally was made um, actually in carved stone in, in palaces throughout Southeast Asia and in Persia, but also you can use metal latticework as well. So okay. what that does, and this is twofold. One, it actually was a natural air conditioner. It was a natural way of cooling the winds down. And two, um, especially like if you look at the the palaces um, where I grew up in Lahore, the princesses would be behind the screen. You are able to see out, but people can't see you through the fact that um, you're focused on the lattice and it's beautifully hand carved. And I've seen traditional versions of this also in New Orleans. So in the South, they've used this for the wraparound porches um, in in the older um, buildings. They've taken that. And I've seen it around in in Spain as well. Um, So it's it's definitely something to return to, I think. So the idea of using um, a way to design, whether it's metal or even in fabric. So you're able to get light through it. It's, it's perforated. Um, like, especially with the laser perforated, I don't know, I, I deal with, um, curtains all the time. So perforated, um, I should have had examples to show you today. Um, beautiful, um, cut fabric that can allow, which acts like a a modern jolly, like a textile jolly, um, where people will still have the privacy, um, but have the light coming in to help their circadian rhythm. 
Oh, that's amazing. That's beautiful. How do you spell that word, Jolly? It's J-A-A-L-I. J-A-A-L-I. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and they, oh, this is so great. It's why I talk to you. Like these beautiful, life-enhancing, gorgeous, design-oriented solutions, but coming from somebody who understands the importance of, of real light coming through. Okay. Yeah. So that's a one, that would be a beautiful solution. Um, if there's a privacy issue about having your windows open or, and you're also saying there's some benefits to, yeah, true, of cutting down the wind and the dust probably and things like that. Yes. And it's yes. much prettier than just a screen, <laughs> a regular old screen. Oh yeah. Those screens, they're not, if you look at examples of Jolly, hold on, if I can, I should have printed out some, um, but I can try to see. They're stunning, stunning. And I've written, um, I have posts on my Instagram about it. Um, but for example, this. That's looking out. Oh, gorgeous. Yes, of course. Right. So that's a form of that carved in stone, traditionally in marble and also terracotta. Um, but there's versions of this in metal. There's versions of this um uh, I can also, and there's also right. a building in the sixties here on the East side that I, I pass by it and it always reminds me of home. I'm like, Oh, who designed that? I have to look this person up and shake their hand. Cause it's really, really unusual and super cool. Um, that is so cool. And then you could also do like a fabric version. You are saying if, yeah. um, yeah, you weren't in a place where you could have a full metalwork <laughs> installation happen. Right, you right. Just do the fabric. fabric version. Absolutely. I love it. Amazing. Okay. So for windows, so your number one tip when you do the workshops for other for other cancer patients is the natural light, which of course we love. Um yes. and I didn't m- mention Mawish is also um took our applied quantum biology certification. So she really understood this at a deep level. So getting the natural light into your home environment as much as possible. So windows are obviously the first place to start. Have have the proper glass if you can, or have them open um, with some kind of beautiful, um, you know, this is a beautiful solution to still let the light through. Okay, so should we move on? to light bulbs and light. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. Because I remember on one of the Q&A calls, you were asking Carrie about light bulbs and you yes. had just been at a showroom looking at some kind of, I'm sure, very stunningly beautiful light installation that was hundreds of thousands of dollars. <laughs> yes. So they'd spent all of this time and money on the design and yet what was going on with the actual light coming out of it? So I walked into the stunning space, beautifully curated, super high end. And I asked the person I was working with, I said, um, have you used your phone in slow-mo to check whether there's any flickering in here? Because <laughs> a no lot way. of their staff were in this working in this room that had no windows. So mm. I immediately was like, oh, okay, um, have you checked? And she said, no, I haven't. And so I whipped out my phone. I put it on slow-mo video. 
And I replayed it back to her and everything was flickering. Everything was flickering. And for those of you listening, um, why that flickering is bad for you. Um, and the reason why LEDs flicker is to save energy. They turn on and off, but they turn on and off so imperceptibly fast. We don't normally see it with our bare eyes, right? But our body knows, our body knows. And what that does is, I mean, it's been related to all sorts of problems, um, epilepsy, uh, epileptic seizures, and it definitely affects our circadian rhythm because it literally confuses our body. We don't know what's happening. Um, And the flickering happens mostly using a dimmer with your LED. It may not happen if you have it turned all the way up, but it slows down the flickering to the point the dimmer slows it down so then you're it actually makes it much worse and then your eye can pick it up i my eye has picked up flickering when you try to dim an led light so i went to the premier bulb place in new york city i sat with the electrician i went through every single led bulb i said let's turn this and let's do the flicker test with these guys. Cause he said, Oh, you know, this is, this is the perfect bulb. This is the perfect bulb. None of them came out. And that's really what's put me on a quest, Meredith, to find an alternative because we're being kind of painted into a corner with this, with the current laws that don't allow us to use and won't sell LED, I'm sorry, won't sell incandescent and halogen. Um, I think starting August of this year. Um, So this is something that has been really on my mind um, to see what other solutions there are. Because, you know, we're humans, we're innovative. We're always coming up with fabulous, creative ways to... um, Absolutely. And when I think about um, people or an industry where they spend so much time designing something beautiful, right? Like most of us are like, oh, I need a lamp. I'll like go to the store and buy one, right? Whereas the, these people that you're dealing with, they're almost like they're artists, lighting yeah. artists. So it's really confounding that there's no thought being put into the light coming out of the structure that they're building. And that's not even really on the radar of these so, people. And then even if it was, they're being, they're being reined in by the legality of it. Exactly. Here's what's crazy. We need more people like us to have a dialogue like this, because even in hospitals, like I wrote about in my book, they're using fluorescent, right? Because that's cost-effective. Mm-hmm. I had to turn while I was going through chemo, I had to turn off the fluorescent light because it was People use movie directors use um, and set designers use fluorescence to amp up the green part of the spectrum, which they use for horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> so you say the hospital where you're supposed to go to get better is lit like a horror movie? Correct. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I had to turn, I asked them to turn the lights off. It was in the basement. 
So I had no natural light and already you're freaked out with circumstances. And then to have the fluorescent green light on top of me, I I just couldn't. So it's really important. It's really important to, here's, here's the thing. People use the word ecosystem a lot. Our body is a living ecosystem, right? We're, Mm -hmm. we're a a governance of, of different bodies that interact with one another. Our environment is an ecosystem, but we forget that the ecosystem is between our bodies and our environment. And for me, calling myself an interior designer, designing from the inside out, my mission is to understand and design for health and wellness, but keeping a harmony between our body and our environment. I'm not against, uh, you know, saving energy. What I am against is what is packaged as saving energy actually kills bodies. That's what I'm against. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And it's, it's, it's interesting to be at the beginning of this conversation, right? Like just in terms of where we are as a culture, we've, we need to be taught. You're right. We need to be talking about this more because they're just, the options just aren't there. And I just find it so amazing that even people whose whole lives are spent on designing lighting, it's still not, you know, I guess when I think of designers thinking about the light, it would be more from a mood perspective, right? Like, oh, you want to like have a, have a dimmer, um, you know, like a, a dimmer room for evening or for entertaining or a dinner party versus a brighter room for something else. Like it's more to set the ambiance and to set the mood, but not necessarily from a health perspective. Correct. Well, they can be both. And I think um, I really want to debunk the word beauty for a second, because a lot of designers, they use the word, you know, create beautiful environment, create a beautiful Mm -hmm. environment. I don't mean that from an aesthetic standpoint only. A beautiful environment for me is something that is in harmony with ourselves, that is in harmony and Mm -hmm. contributes to our growth, right? Our wellness. And it's synergistic. So yes, mood is an effect, but here we are unpacking a very simple concept, which by the way, Meredith, is so much rooted in the ancient traditions that a lot of that we've lost, these simple things we've lost in our quest for modernity or in our quest for efficiency. I think it's so important to reconnect that. And you're absolutely right. There are people spending their lives, their careers, not knowing all the components of what they're basing it all on, right? And the next question is, and this is the fun part, because we're at the beginning of this, how can we combine that ancient knowledge with the modern technology and all the new things we're discovering to create a new version of what is truly beautiful. Yes, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about that because you spent your early childhood in Pakistan, then you're in the Midwest. Now you're in Manhattan. So you've been exposed to a variety of (laughs) traditions. Tell us about those ancient traditions and those ancient Persian traditions 
um, and how society used to be partly out of necessity, but you know, also I would imagine other reasons really constructed around its use of light. I'll give you a really simple example from my childhood, our inner courtyard in my mm. grandmother's home and three, four generations under one roof. And we ate our meals outside underneath the sky. And the houses were constr- like they were constructed where the rooms were um, flanking an inner courtyard. Usually there was a water feature, if not, but it was um, also a place where we would place our um, charpais, which are um, a woven bed, a woven mm-hmm. jute bed that we would sleep on at night for the cool winds. But um, during the days and the evenings, we would always congregate underneath the stars or underneath the sky. And that was where, and I think in most Islamic architecture, ancient um, traditional architecture has a main garden feature um, that is flanked by the rooms. So growing up, I feel like I was always much more in tune with the rhythm of the day. And of course, we were growing things, everything that we ate, we either grew or bought from someone who grew it. Um, we were grew up with chickens and, and livestock. I learned how to milk a cow. So it was, it was really just like how to make butter. Um, I learned to churn butter as a little girl. So, so it's definitely, um, also I learned to sew and embroider and, and dye the clothing using onion skins and tea. Um, and even my great grandmother would, um, burn things and use the ashes to dye the fabrics as well. Wow. It's amazing to think and like, okay, so there's a few things in there. First of all, what an amazing experience to be to have and to be that connected to the old ways of doing things. Um, there's not a lot of people who are <laughs> as youthful as you are, who are still like grew up with that exposure. And I'm just struck by how uh, natural everything was, right? Like the clothes you wore were naturally dyed, made of natural fabrics made by the hands of another human being. And I'm thinking about what I have on right now, right? It's like probably synthetic. I try not to, but I don't know. It probably is <laughs> made in a factory. It was dyed using who knows what. Um, and all of these little ways that we've distanced ourselves from nature. Yeah, I think that's why I love having plants around indoors and outside. And my bedtime reading is always about some sort of botany, some sort of what can I, what is the ancient medicinal, you know, way I can use this? What can I grow that I can make a a tea from? And, and I think it's so beautiful and poetic the way we danced with our environment. We had no choice. It was really what we relied on. Food was our medicine, right? And we're going back to that. We are. I know there's a whole movement um, where we have, and I'll give you an example from a chemo perspective. Um, Taxol, which was one of the chemo drugs that I um, was infused with, is made from 
the yew tree. It's from the bark of a yew tree. So the yew tree was symbolic, symbolized immortality um, It by the Druids. And as a matter of fact, um, the goddess Hecate would use and put the yew inside the, the dead, the mouths of the dying. So this idea of immortality was very much infused with that chemo drug. Now, most people realize or think or afraid that chemo is a poison, that it is literally killing your cells. But I actually symbol, like envisioned as I was being infused, becoming immortalized. And wow. so my connection to the botanical part of that allowed me to literally not be in a fight with what was coming, but to be in harmony with it. And I think the word dis-ease, right? Dis-ease is dissonance. It's actually, if our cells are vibrating, we are not in harmony with ourselves or the environment or the or vice versa. So if we are able to combat dis-ease, then we have to seek ways in which we're becoming more harmonious. What a beautiful example of a way to do that. And talk about quantum biology, right? It's, it's all frequencies. So you are not only taking in the medicine, you are resonating, finding a way to resonate with it on a, on a mental, emotional, and spiritual level. Exactly. You, you get me Meredith, you know, it's funny because in, in my, in my book, I, um, I called cancer Hades and that I was dancing the tango with Hades and that it was a dance and that I had to let Hades lead me. Right. I think so mm-hmm. much of that is we humans think that we have to be the leaders in this dance with nature, but nature leads, nature mm-hmm. leads. And it's us allowing nature to lead us is where that beautiful dance really becomes a a love story. And that's what it's about. It's really a love story that I feel like I'm writing in physical form. What a beautiful way to articulate it, Mawish. That's just gorgeous. And I I loved how you um, used the, the Greek myths that were such strong archetypal forces in your life from a very young age. I love that there's a part in the book where it's, I think you're nine years old and you're drawing dresses for the goddesses and putting them in a gilded frame on your little desk at school. And I just thought, <laughs> oh, you remember there's yes. someone who knew at a young age what she was going to be doing. <laughs> I literally, I designed the Persephone series, Meredith, 20 years ago in a boutique down in the East Village. And that they were on the runway, these draped dresses, I would drape them directly on the bodies of women. You know, back then there was like, oh, what was that show? Like something like where people had to fit the dress and they had to lose the weight to fit into the dress. And I was doing the opposite. I was like, no, the dresses are meant to fit the body, not the other way around. (laughs) Right. That seems so obvious. Right. Hello. So custom, custom clothing. I I hand dyed everything. I printed it. I also um, printed excerpts from my journals and and different phrases. And 
Um, I talk about, um, I designed talismanic clothing. So um, clothing that had meaning and people started collecting my words to wear to interviews, to special events and things like that. So it was really kind of a, a wonderful, again, a way for me to incorporate these threads that have been weaving in and out of my consciousness since yeah forever absolutely and again it's very uh quantum right like the that that you were infusing frequency into these fabrics and into these designs yes yes i actually designed a collection um brian green string theory um had come out and i uh did a collection based on that and a dance performance um, wearing uh, the designs that I created using those concepts. So it's, it's really, again, the interweaving of our environment and our creations and our bodies and our health. I can't, we can't separate it out. It's like pulling the thread of a sweater. You unravel that sweater. We have to weave those threads together. You can't create a viable topography of of our our society without these threads, right? And Mm -hmm. it's not about parsing it out. Quantum for me is encompassing every level of our being. It's our emotions. It's our vibration. It's our energy. It's, you know, our, our easy, like our water. It's every, like... I'll give you an example. Soul and soil are one vowel away from being the same word. Mm. And I wrote that in my book because there's a dichotomy that is very problematic that takes place where we separate out mind, body, body, environment, soul, body. It's not that our body is our soul and our soul is our body. And if you apply that metaphor to our world, then it becomes a unified premise instead of something that's fractured. Yes. And if you apply it also to your home, right? Like I'm thinking we we sort of separate soul and body, but we also kind of separate our house and our health, right? Like the house needs to be functional in certain ways and it needs to look nice in certain ways, but my health is in the supplement cabinet and in the gym and in the, in the food in the fridge. Um, But listening to you, you know, and for anyone who's listens to this podcast, you probably think of it from this perspective as well. Right. Because every, every moment, every place our body is in, in time and space throughout the entire day, or it's picking up information. And so, we need to start thinking about our homes from that perspective. Harpy Diem sees the day, <laughs> sees that moment, sees the beauty and live in beauty at all times. Don't parse it out where I'm only feeling good when I'm on vacation or I'm only feeling good when I'm, I'm having this particular snack. It, it's, it's really about the integration of all these elements, Meredith, and a beautiful home and how to design that beautiful home is one of the most delicious activities I could possibly be, you know, by sinking my teeth into. Um, <laughs> what does that mean? What does that look like? Like I can go out into my garden, by the way, in Manhattan, 
it's square footage is nothing. And I have uh, peas and beets and um, forage and carrot greens that I can pick and eat, which has, Mm. you know, 10 times the vitamin K than the carrot itself. So Mm -hmm. it's, and then I can use things to die with. Like it's all interconnected. Like these plants that infuse our culture, that infuse my culture actually um, enhance my life. And it's something that gives me endless amount of joy and pleasure and having that curiosity of discovery of like, oh my gosh, this can do this, this, and this. Well, how can I use it? And guess what? That motif's ancient. It was in Egypt at this time. It was in India at this time. And now it's here. Let's find out. Let's, how can I create a botanical print to use on a jolly curtain? Like, you know, I'm just, (laughs) there's endless ways to, find and design beauty around us. And from a biological standpoint, that's a win-win. Yes. Okay. So I want to circle back to where we were earlier. We were talking about um, optimizing your house, your house for your home for light in terms of windows, in terms of trying to have healthier light bulbs. Um So that would be sort of dimmer light bulbs in the evening, like incandescents, if you can find them. But now, and I I was reminded to talk about this because you brought up Hades, right? And Persephone and the the myth of Persephone, which is also the name of my cat. Um, (laughs) Another bonding moment. Okay. So Persephone, she spends half the year above ground in the light and the other half underneath in Hades. And I feel like that myth, um, there's more to it. but obviously just for brevity's sake, we'll just stick with that part of it. Um, That's very sort of, I like a sort of mythological representation of the light and the dark, which we, and we need both. So you talked about telling your client to open those blackout curtains in the morning. So tell us about how to have a really good sleeping environment so that we get the most out of the dark. Okay, I'm going to be a total TV snob. I do not believe in in TVs in the bedroom. Yeah. I just, no, that's a big giant no. Yeah. So um, bedroom design would be, or evening design would be, number one, candlelight. I love candlelight. Um, It's very soothing and also affordable. Um, In terms of bulbs, incandescent, or if you have LEDs, um, I wouldn't dim them because they're problematic. So I would think about probably using shades, some sort of lampshades. Um, I, I change out lampshades all the time. Mm. Um, so think about, uh, you know, you, you're wearing those glass sunglasses or the, the lenses for your glasses. Why not have lenses on your shades? So from that standpoint, right? right? So that it like like a blue blocking glass, like blue blocking shades, right? For your lights, I think I'm onto a product right now. Um, I think so, Malish. I think so because we really, we definitely want those the overhead ones. You just want off at night, but the lamp, yeah, the lamp you could, yeah, bring out your blue blockers. 
wrap, so wrap your if, lamp up. Why not? Why not? Why not? Totally. I mean, I mean, you still would need it to be less bright because of the lux, right? Like you still, but it would, but the, but the, that shade would probably cut down on the brightness as well. as the- Right. So in terms of lighting, um, the color temperature is also very important. So like anything 3000 K's, like it, it, it's too bright. It's too white. I prefer 2700 or less. Um, anything that you can get that doesn't emit a lot of light, it's it's on the dimmer part of the spectrum is probably best. I wouldn't be using a dimmer on LEDs whatsoever. Um, okay. I'll test them out. Again, I think a lens for your shade, um, your lampshade. I don't believe in overhead lighting in general, um, mm. unless because think Tell about us how why. You- Okay. It's so unflattering. Um, okay. It's, it's so <laughs> That's, institutional that was my and unflattering. Thing, right. I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, you, people have these ring lights. Everything is at base level. Mm-hmm. If you think about taking pictures at high noon, everybody's faces look distorted. That's why right. even in bathrooms, I prefer sconces at your, at your mirror instead of overhead to mm. put on your makeup, for example. So, <laughs> um, it's really important to have ambient light at face level, um, whether it's table lamps or standing lamps, definitely no overheads because that again mimics this idea. Our body re- registers the location of light. So it's mm-hmm. not just about the type of light, but the location, meaning where it is in relation to your body. So overhead light, you feel like you're still at high noon, always bring that down. Like think about the sun rising and the sun setting where it is in the horizon, use that as your template for your home. Right. So your, your lighting inside should be as closely aligned as possible to what's happening outside. Yes. So as the sun goes down, the lights go lower, like not just lower in terms of dimmer, but lower to the ground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then but- you're going to invent a blue blocking shade for Yes, I am. It'll be dyed with onion skins. <laughs> I love um, it. And then also then in the bedroom, back to the bedroom really quickly. So blackout curtains. So street you're lights, in New York. So street lights would be the worst thing to have coming through. Have you ever heard of birds chirping at three o'clock in the morning? I have, I've seen it happen. There's like all sorts of studies done on migrations and how it's screwed up Mm. the migration of birds having um, lights on at night um, in the cities. They, they don't know where they're going. So it's really, and if we can screw them up, it can screw us up too. So it's really important to be in darkness at night, the Hades portion of Mm. The underworld portion, um, which is very important, and on a on a mental level, the embracing our shadow is really important too. So, what is creating that shadow inside? Um, no screens. I'm sorry. Um, at least, and I mean, I'd like to say two hours before going to bed, but um, music is a really important part of creating a beautiful environment for me. So playing something that is soothing, um, that allows you to kind of 
register orally, like it's time for sleep. Something, it could even be, um, you know, the Japanese forest bathing or sound baths where it's not just music. It could be the sound of the ocean. It could be the sound of a rainforest. Something that kind of, kind of gives you a signal that it's time to sleep, whatever that is for you. Um, so I, in my workshops, I use the five senses, Meredith, mm-hmm. to cue, help people cue and think about how to create a beautifully aligned space. So sound, touch, like certain fabrics that you have um, on your bed that are very sensuous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that feel good. No polyester, sorry. Um <laughs> And um, visually, definitely the dimming of the lights, the location of the lights, and no blue light. No, I mean, you can wear those glasses, but I actually, um, I don't know, I'm a big uh, proponent of reading. Mm -hmm. Puts you right to sleep. I think it makes, you know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. just simple, like what did our, what did our great, great grandparents do before bed? What do they do? You know, oiling of your hair, the massage. Massage Mm. is a fabulous touch. That's one of the other senses is a bath. Something that, again, ritualistically allows you to change your mood and signal what's next. That sleep that we need. You don't need to pop a pill. You can do so many different things to create that environment for yourself. Yes, absolutely. And the more that we pay attention to our environment and allow it to, as you so beautifully put, to lead us, as opposed to trying to dominate it, the less likely we are to need things like sleeping pills or other exogenous forms of symptom management. Yes. Let's, that's what I call the tail wagging the dog for my son. I always say that when we allow um, our priorities to be out of balance, right. Um, and use the word exogenous, which I adore. Um, and so the endogenous version of that is really the Hades. It's really embracing the shadow and embracing nature, um, as leading us. And frankly, I think we suffer some of our symptoms. Meredith, it's just exhaustion. It's exhausting to try to lead that dance when you don't have the capability or the awareness of where to take the next step. Right. Yeah. So allowing nature to lead you will help you. I think. Yes. And it's, it's definitely helped you. And I so appreciate that you shared your journey with it in your beautiful book, which you have here, it's called purgatory to paradise. You can order it on Amazon. I encourage everyone to do so. Um, especially if you know somebody who is moving through a cancer experience or has recently done that. Um, I think there's a lot in this book that will feel really comforting. Um, and I love that you've taken this experience and you're now helping other people and helping us 
Thank so, you. I'm so glad you. we, we crossed paths and the fact that you have a cat named Persephone. I mean, come on. <laughs> no, come on. Come on. So funny. And we live close. We'll have to have lunch again soon. I would love and, that. Um, thank you to all our QBC members who joined us today. We do invite our members to come on live to these podcasts and they have their questions in the chat. So Thank you so much, Mawish. We will have to do this again uh, once you have some more research on your um, on your blue blocking lamp shade. Yes, yes. <laughs> Until oh. next time. Yes. Oh, Go Katie ahead. wanted to answer, ask a question. Go sure. ahead, Katie. Yes, I have a question. Um, I'm just so touched by so touched by your presentation. I'm going to get the book for sure. But my question is about um, the design. Have you heard of biogeometry? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Because I'm not sure if you talked about it, but that is something that is so quantum in terms of uh, how – I don't even you have such beautiful words to say I when I have it's in my head in my heart but I it takes quant, um, biogeometry integrating the environment oh I don't even know I'm not even attempted but what you are saying about the house and, and that story about your childhood oh so I'll just ask you just answer I, I cannot even talk anymore it's so beautiful this what you just said like the interview thank you thank you so much and yes biogeometry is a lovely preoccupation of mine and how I can apply its principles to the design work is is something I'm really truly there's more to come I'm not going to say any more to that but I'm definitely um, will let you know and um, if you follow my insta you'll see more about it so it would be I was thinking about in my mind that it would be beautiful to put something in the fabric because I have a pen and some tape I I, I would put it on my wrist some bio jump bio signature um, for water or something on my wrist, or I, I draw it. I can draw it anywhere. Non-toxic, some kind of right. non-toxic pen. But yeah, in terms of textile, I was like, when you just put some biogeometry signatures and imprint them in this beautiful fabric with color, and then you can wear it. And yeah. Yes. Yes, I actually did that um, in my shop down in the East Village. Um, I did a whole collection of clothing that was also infused with homemade scents that I created. I worked with a perfumer um, using essential oils, and um, it was all about how aromatherapy could be infused into the fabrics and um, create that as well. But when the aromatherapy fade yeah, that was a problem. I had to send people off with ways to reapply after washing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it was it was just another way for me to experiment using uh, my designs. But thank you. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to um, hear that um, my story has, uh, you know, resonance for you. Thank you.
Malish, could you just quickly explain what biogeometry means to you or how you understand that concept? It's basically the looking at um, alignment through the shape of things, right? Um, looking at it on a macro level and a micro level. So a micro level would be um, the shape of our bodies and the cells within them and, and the interactions and the physical beauty um, of such an efficient system on that level and then in terms of how our bodies interact with our environment and the shape of that, um, I think is something that I am constantly meditating on. Um, hope that makes sense for you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And uh, thanks for your question, Katie. It's so nice to have our live audience here. And um, yeah. Any closing words you'd like to share with us, Mawash? I want to thank all of you for listening and for allowing yourself to explore your space through this particular lens that I present, because I believe in living your life beautifully, you actually become in alignment with not only yourself, but with others around you. And we lift each other up. So in that way, I feel like there's more for us to play with. And um, I'm here in the sandbox with you. And um, let's build something. I love it. Let's do it. Oh, and why don't you just say, we will put um, all Balmish's contact info in the show notes, but just in case someone doesn't make it there, do you want to just say your Instagram handle? Sure. It's Mawish Sayed Designs. Um, it's M-A-H-W-I-S-H underscore S-Y-E-D underscore designs, plural. Great. Fantastic. Thank you so much. This was just delightful. My pleasure. Utterly, utterly thrilled to be with you all. And um, I look forward to the next one with lampshades. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> This has been the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. To find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely take a look at the Applied Quantum Biology Certification, a six-week study of the science of the new human health paradigm and its practical application with your patients and clients. We also love to feature graduates of the program on this very podcast. Until next time, the QBC.